Hello and welcome to the Stillness Everyday Podcast. I've got Henry Norton here. I've known Henry for about 12 or so years. Um, he's going to tell us about his journey leaving school, actually growing up in the Middle East, how he went to the army and what he's doing today. A lot of deep insight into his um, spiritual beliefs and his mindset and I think you'll enjoy this podcast. Welcome Henry Norton to the Stillness Podcast. Thank you for having me. So you've been... Uh, Doing personal training for the last 10 years, you've been to the army. I want to hear about how you got to your current um, state with spirituality and um, yeah, your journey because uh, the army is quite different to what you're doing now. Yeah, um, I guess it started when I moved overseas as a seven year old. I um, left Tasmania, went with my mum, dad, and sister to the Middle East. I remember vividly being in grade two and having. It was, I think it was 17 different nationalities of kids in that class. And it was a massive kind of eye-opening experience, even at that age. And then, obviously, I stayed in the Middle East until I was sort of 15, where I learned a lot. And I guess the reason for going was Dad's English. And so his family was all in the UK. And um, back sort of, you know, early 2000s, it was too expensive to travel from here. Oh, yeah. um, and so it was a good chance for me and my sister when we were little to go and meet that side of the family and travel and, and dad had actually spent a bit of time in Saudi Arabia which is right next door so that's sort of why we went but when I was there I very much fell in love with that culture you know it was the a culture vision. in Dubai or the culture of having multicultural um, all of students. it all of it but I remember vividly um, feeling like I was in a different world and being super open to that there was never anything wrong with it it was always so good and you'd go to kids with go to school with kids from Pakistan Afghanistan and the Middle East and England and Ireland and from everywhere and we were all just friends and it wasn't until I got a bit older and people were sort of you know where you're from where you're from I'm from Australia oh wow you know how lucky are you and can I have a visa you know can you get me a job there and it was sort of like wow like we are so lucky when you start to get involved with these other people and understand where they've come from and things like that um just how good it is here. Anyway, so... That started your um, gratitude to life? Yeah, yep. I was lucky enough to do a lot of travel from there um, at a young age, so I got to see a lot and experience a lot. But I suppose being in a Muslim country that practices their faith, you know, five, six times a day, and you get to experience Ramadan and those belief systems that people literally run their lives around, um, it sort of becomes normal, you know, and... At school, like the kids would go and study Islam all the time, and that was just part of part of the daily religion. Was part of the daily, and you know, I'm not from a religious family. Dad's very much, uh, I guess, like a hardcore atheist. Mum is more spiritual, but again, not to any sort of denomination as such. So you had to study Islam your whole. No, I didn't. But, oh, but you didn't. The, the Islamic kids did. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I didn't, obviously. Did you study it at all to learn about? Not in school, just what we yeah. would learn in society and. Yeah, right. Obviously in that country and abiding by their rules and it was very much um, you did things to their custom. So I left when I was 15, moved back to Sunshine Coast. Um, Before we go on, do you have any stories you could tell around that as a kind of young adult? In the Middle East? Yeah, like with the living by an Islamic rules? Look, I, I, I was seven. It was just normal. It was, you know, it was harder for the girls because they couldn't, um, or not couldn't, but shouldn't have you know, short shorts and skirts and covered up more skin than you see here. But, yeah, in terms of stories, I've got heaps of stories. Was it Dubai? Yeah, it's called Alain. So it's, um, in Arabic, it means the eye yeah. um, because there's actually an oasis in the middle of the desert. So it was right on the border of Oman and, um, and obviously the United Arab Emirates. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, for me, is very much sometimes still feels like home. Yeah, right. We learned um, Arabic at school and French and Spanish and, it was just very international. I went to a British international curriculum school and um, it's just a different different world. And I don't know that I appreciate it as much as I, I could have there then as I do now looking back. Um, comparing it to Hobart? Oh, just comparing it to, I guess, how people have, I guess, like somewhat sheltered upbringings in Australia. Yeah. Not that that's an unlucky thing because Australia is an amazing country. But, um, but yeah, this was very different. So you moved back when you were 15? Yeah, 2008. Um, I moved back when I was 15, my mum and my sister, my dad stayed over for a little bit longer and I went to Mountain Creek, stayed high, did grade nine there, which I loved. I, I loved it there. It was, um, it was great fun. I was always enrolled to go to grammar when I was in the Middle East. 
um, that was the school sort of mum wanted me to go to. So when we came back, I couldn't for that year. So it was very much on the cards for grade 10. And I remember umming and ahhing for a long time, do I want to go, do I not want to go? Anyway, I did. And that was uh, that was where I did grade 10 and 11, most of 11. And then, uh, see, after that chapter, I finished school at Suncoast Christian College. So I grew up in a house where mum had a sort of more spiritual faith. Dad didn't believe in anything but sort of mainstream science and obviously grew up in the Middle East and had a big influence from all of that. And then came back to grammar, which was, as you remember when we were there, just kind of pushing more of the Christianity side of things. And then obviously I finished up there and I went to Suncoast Christian College, which was... Um, have a lot of belief in faith. Yeah, that's cool. And, and I'm, I'm super grateful as well for going there too because those guys were super good to me um, at a point that see, uh, was uh, a low point, I suppose, or a growth point. Let's call it a growth point. Do you want to touch on that? Everyone knows. It's when um, so Henry and I met at Grammar in Year 10. Grade 10. 10, yeah. And then through some um, mis- mischievous teenage... Oh, look, I think, um, yeah, look, obviously from a young age we're both quite entrepreneurial. And could see the benefits of running um, on the side businesses. <laughs> so we ended up um, getting kicked out of grammar at the end of year 11 for selling a plant to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we both went our separate ways. I got sent to boarding school in Brisbane. Henry, I wasn't allowed to go to Suncoast with you. <laughs> yes. And I wasn't allowed to go to Mountain Creek because that's where it um, apparently all started, according to my mother. Yeah, well, I, um, I couldn't get in anywhere. Nowhere wanted me. I think I applied for all the private schools and the public schools. Um, And obviously term three of grade 11, they're sort of asking, well, what do you do? And uh, running a business at school was not favourable. It's not favourable at all in the law? No, but live and we learn. (laughs) I remember um, Sienna, there's a lot of schools you actually have to be, I didn't realise until then, they're like, you're not coming in because you're not Catholic or... Yeah, I have some sort of faith or Mm. church you belong to. But no, like I said, I was lucky enough to go to Suncoast Christian College. During that last year of school, that's when I studied Cert 3 in fitness. I sort of always knew I wanted to be involved with fitness. I'd always enjoyed it myself. Um, I remember from a young age putting on exercise shows for mum and dad and practicing different exercises and you know running around the house and doing push-ups and pull-ups before bed and I just sort of fell in love with that. You know, I remember after school um, in LA and we would go to the Hilton every day, get a taxi up there and I'd just swim laps because I'd enjoyed that physical release so the exercise thing had always been a big part of my who I was and it's something I always enjoyed and I kind of really got into it more around playing rugby I understood that well I enjoyed the physical side of going to the gym and training more than actual playing the game and then we'd play the games and I'd be sore and beaten up and I couldn't go to the gym and that kind of that's where I sort of realized that you know what, I actually just want to go to the gym and I, I don't really want to train for anything in particular other than me. So yes, grade 11 and 12, it was very much I want to be a PT and so for grade 12 I had a school-based traineeship so every Wednesday I would go and work at um, Suncoast Fitness on Wises Road which is still there with Stiddy and Stiddy and the guys um, and I would clean equipment and I would follow the PTs around and uh, learn that way hands-on and after school those guys gave me a full-time job doing reception and I finished my cert four and become qualified and I remember uh, I picked up my first client it was on a Wednesday and that was because only because the PT that was supposed to pick them up didn't show up and they had no one else that could cover this session and I was on reception they're like can you do it and I was like yep sweet I'll do it and that was the start of that I very much then cut my hours back on reception and just jumped into the the PT world and that was at um that was at 17 those guys were really good to me I learned a lot there um, interesting because um at the time you probably didn't kind of see that as like um the universe preventing presenting an opportunity to you that whoever it was didn't show up and because of that you're given this yeah 100 as a 17 year old sitting on reception I mean I've always been somewhat aware of myself and my surroundings and my beliefs but not not enough to piece that together going okay well this is meant to be this is an opportunity um you can look back and you can see that clearly but in the moment it's like oh shit how am i gonna mm. i haven't got a session planned how am i gonna do this was it a good session did they say they well they stayed on they yeah. stayed on and I, I think i trained them for the next five six years oh they s- swapped yeah well they just enjoyed the work we did together and um stayed on we still catch up sometimes yeah cool but yeah i think um I think looking back, it's those moments, isn't it? It's the moments where you're getting expelled or the moments where you're put on the spot that force the most growth because you don't have time to plan. It's just kind of who you are and what you're made of as to what's going to get you through. So, yes, did the PT thing for a long time at Suncoast Fitness. It was ready for a change and uh, I moved across to Anytime Fitness in Maruchidor. I was also working at Nutrition Warehouse at Maruchidor at the time. 
um, and, and sort of rebuilt my business there. I had been toying with the military idea for quite some time. It was always something I wanted to do. Um, again, touching back on my time in the Middle East, I understood how lucky I was to be Australian. And I really wanted to go back and give, I guess, support to those that couldn't support themselves. You know, I, I have so much love for the Arabs and the Middle East and that culture and way of doing and being. And, you know, you always hear about these wars on the news and the media and this is happening and that's happening in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I just wanted to go and see and, and to be able to do some good. So I believed. So that was a big part of wanting to join the military. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I always thought being a pilot would be cool. So I went down the whole Air Force, Air Force route and applied to be a fighter jet pilot. Not because I was passionate about airplanes, but because I just thought flying jets would be sick. And obviously afterwards you'd have a... You'd be a pilot, and who doesn't want to be able to travel? So I did the study for that for a lot of to- long time. Um, that involved heaps of hardcore math tutoring. Go and see a guy up at Blow Blow twice a week. I must have missed this part of your life. I don't remember that. Yeah, well, I was PTing, and I was just was studying On the side. to um yeah to get to the get into the air force as a pilot. Anyway, did it for a long time. I think it took me about two years to go to all the aptitude tests in Brisbane and all these different testings, which were quite quite full on and, and pretty difficult. Anyway, I, I got through. Um, and it was a 13 and a half year contract, which at the time I was 21 was too overwhelming. Or it's just, what I realized was through the process that the people I was going down this path with were genuinely in love with airplanes and motors and numbers and mathematics. And we were very different people. And so I decided that that wasn't for me. I just, I wasn't going to be able to keep up this kind of false motivation just to fly a jet and one thing you'll learn about the military very quickly is that all these things that seem fun to the outside civilian world are very quickly made not so fun um which i was to learn later on so anyway i decided not to do the the pilot thing and went back to PTing for a little bit longer i was still hungry for a change still needed to do something different so i reapplied to go to the army for the uh direct entry to commando course which is more or less they take civilians 24 months training, bang, you're in special forces, training with the big boys. And that excited me. I always sort of wanted to know what I was capable of and wanted to explore that world. So I did. And it was good. I was really focused on that. It was like a something I wanted to achieve. You know, run around and tell everyone I'm Australian commando. Probably so, a bit more aligned with what you've been doing the last few years with um, PT and stuff. Yeah. Rather than flying jets. For sure. I think I think there's a large component of that as well, though, is you know, ego-driven. To say I'm, I'm special forces and I'm Australian commando and all the rest of it. Anyway, went and did that. Uh, you start off doing 12 weeks at Kapuka, which is just like your basic infantry training or military training rather. And that was an eye-opening experience. They really strip you back. You know, you, you rock up there and they take everything off you and you get your head shaved and everything you're given is from them. They tell you every day, like, we own you. We own you. They used to make jokes like prisoners have more rights than you do. And I become very aware quite quickly. I guess it's like the psychological component of the way they were conditioning us. You know, they'd yell at us all the time and they would degrade us. You know, the, the things that we're biggest, our biggest fears as humans are loud noises, um, the unknown, and um, and heights. And so it's sort of this compilation of, of loud noises being screamed at all the time. And, and the unknown, they'll tell you, right, tomorrow morning we're doing this and they'll do something completely different and constantly playing games with you. What I did remember quite vividly was, for example, when you get there, you have nothing. And I remember about six weeks in, if you've been good and your platoon's done well, you get privileges, right? And so one of the privileges is like dessert after dinner. And it's incredible how happy dessert would make you after dinner because you'd worked so hard for these basic, basic things. And you get these little tab systems, red tab, blue tab, gold tab, as you progress through. Um, and once you become, you know, gold tab, you're allowed to wear a watch. It's It's amazing. <laughs> And it's not until afterwards you look back and you just go, fuck, man, how angry did the kid, like the kids, the kids, I guess we were all kids, we were young, young adults, but, um, you know, like someone, someone would do something, they'd fuck it up and we'd all lose our watches. And then <laughs> and that person would get bashed, like in the bathrooms, you know, after, or lights out, they'd get beaten up because we lost our ability to wear our watches. And it becomes this real, you know, gang mentality. I remember one of my corporals early on saying, you know, welcome to the biggest gang in this country. And it, it has that mentality and it has this, um, you know, this brotherhood and this, you, know, you don't need anything from the outside world. You've got everything right here and your mates. You know, you, we live together, we die together. And it was this rebuilding of, of what they needed you to be, which, um, you know, for... Us training for special forces was a more or less a killing machine that doesn't ask questions. You know, anyone that knows me knows that that's not who I am, and <laughs> we'll question everything all the time. The um, one one thing I remember you telling me, but I can't remember the full story. But the people, the types of people that are in there, and how they speak about going to war, like it's not um, 
for you, you said you wanted to go and do good, which I guess isn't now you're realising, but they just wanted to go and kill? Or? Yeah, so once you get through Kapuka, um, you march out and you're an Australian soldier. And then you go on and you do your, your whatever it is that you're going to specialise in. So for us, the next step was School of Infantry down at um, Singleton. And that's a 16-week course of learning to be an infantry soldier. Um, and so that was much more geared towards, obviously, what I needed to train to do. And I did. I had a, I had a Russian sergeant. And this man was hard as nails, like as hard as they come. Um, and because we were, obviously, a two-commando platoon, we had uh, another corporal who was a commando um, and two others that were SAS and another infantry boy. So we were mixing with these people that had done the job and were doing the job and understood what it was about. But yes, this Russian sergeant that we had was a lunatic and he used to tell stories often about shooting rockets into camps and shooting rockets into caves and blowing people up and you know, and it's not just you know, it's not just terrorists, it's not just other men and that's I can think what we what we kind of think of when people say we're going to war, we're gonna go fight terror. It's not true. It's it's terror is in the form of women and children and dogs and cats and, and men and boys and these people in these roles and not all of them. Um, but this one individual, he was wired for that. He didn't live a normal life and this job was perfect for him. But it was these kind of people that I realised that I just didn't aspire to be like at all. I just didn't want to be that. I remember going down to the War Memorial in Canberra and seeing this big picture of Ben Robert Smith. It's a huge, big poster and it's a white background. It's a really quite impressive picture. And you read the little placard about it and what it says is, well, in all of this that's been whited out, there's actually about four or five dead bodies there that picture and this is what war is it's killing people and we kind of glorify it in a way that makes people want to go and be a part of it and that's what society does to us at a young age you know look like i remember growing up in high school like call of duty was the game to play you know and and without being aware like these are all just subconscious conditioning to make that more realistic no one grows up in australia and then goes off and shoots people and comes back okay. I mean, look around. Like, you know, we don't get bombed. There aren't dead people in our streets. We're not a war zone. Um, we live a super privileged, sheltered life here. And so for me, I just realised early on that I couldn't do this training and then go and do the job and, and be okay with it. I was far too emotional. And it was a mix. It was a mix of all these kinds of things that, you know what, I'm actually not enjoying what I'm doing and I'm not looking forward to going overseas and being away from the people I care about um, to fight a war that essentially I do not believe in because it wasn't about helping out it wasn't about you know doing good it was about serving an agenda as we know lots of agendas are usually based around money and where the resources are and it was just something I didn't want to be a part of um, so I started the process of of trying to get out that was after a year wasn't it yeah yeah, it was about a year in. And we were just about to go out to Bush for 10 days. And I just said to my corporal, I said, corporal, I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And those guys made it really difficult. You know, they, they stand you up in front of everyone. And these are the boys you've spent a year training with. And you're weak. And things worse than that, you know, in your face just to degrade you. And it was hard. But you, I, I backed myself and I backed my decision to go. I had to go and see psychologists and doctors. And you more or less at that point, I had to say that I would do anything to get out. Um, that's the other thing, a big part of it too, is they don't talk about the suicide and the depression and the anxiety. And, you know, there's not um, most bases, well, all the bases that I went to had, there were stories, you know, about boys hanging themselves and shooting themselves. And they don't tell you any of this when you're joining up. It's all glorified. It's the cool videos of jumping out of helicopters and jets flying over and all the sick stuff that boys want to be a part of. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't my reality. When I was there, and like I said before, you know, these things that are fun, throwing grenades and shooting rocket launchers and grenade launchers and claymores and all these sick stuff that you sign up to do. Dude, it's so drilled into you that it's no longer fun. It's not fun at all. We, we would carry our weapons around with us all the time. And you, know, you can ask any 10-year-old kid like, hey, man, you want to run around with a machine gun? They go, yeah, sweet, that'd be cool. It's not cool. It's so tiresome. Can you touch on um, what you would do like during training, like your day-to-day -day practice and how much the ammunition costs and you know where we as Australian taxpayers spend our money? Oh, yeah, obviously it's extraordinarily expensive. Um, I think we were shooting rockets down the range that were like 10 or 12 grand each. I think most grenades are about three or four grand each. And you're just throwing them? Yeah, just practicing. Um, How many grenades would you throw in a practice? Just you. Look, it was sort of like, right, like now we're going to do grenade practice and you'd go and do like two days or three days at the grenade range um, and you'd throw about, oh, man, I can't remember. Maybe between probably four and ten and then you'd go and do like one or two grenade launches and 
couple of rocket launches and it was just kind of like a taster to it all and then obviously you specialize in different units and go on and do more and more but yeah the cost was amazing just the, the as you said like the ammunition yeah no it's certainly not cheap it's good that that's where we spend our money <laughs> training kids up to be killers sure there's better places we could spend it but anyway so you left the army yes um you moved to the gold coast i was there at the time that's right i left the goal i left i uh, left the military in june i think 2016 and i didn't know what i wanted to do I mean, i'd always sort of been in the gym and there was always that kind of element of going back to the gym but i was like oh I'm, I'm still not ready for that so i got myself a traineeship doing real estate i went and bought a car and a suit and for this interview in brisbane um, with Coronas. Anyway, I got fast-tracked through this like, course or whatever, and it was like a Monday morning. And, man, I didn't last six hours. I was sitting in this room with this um, this Indian lady, pretty much just saying, make more calls, make more calls. And I left at lunchtime. I was like, ah, you guys are kidding yourselves. <laughs> um, so I left that. Um, so, yes, I walked out of Coronas, and I went back looking for more work, and I ended up unpacking boxes at um Universal store in Surfers. And... Uh, Look, it wasn't long before, I think it maybe lasted there maybe five weeks before um, the girls were like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know what, I'm not passionate about unpacking these clothes anymore. This isn't for me, thank you. And so I ended up going back to the gym and I went back down to World Gym Burley um, and built another PT business there, which was um, which was cool. It was John Davies sort of home club and it was an awesome facility and really cool team and met a lot of good people and I guess just in that whole fitness world was exposed to a lot a lot of good competitors and just a lot of good people in that in that world. So that was really cool. I ended up being the PT manager there for a couple of years before I stepped out of that space as well. I think um, just obviously being the Gold Coast and the egos and PT and all of the, what that can be about. Just kind of had enough. Had enough of cancellations as well, which anyone in the whole fitness game would know about. And started working as a compliance manager for Highlands which is um, Lauren's dad's company, which was another adventure, to say the least, sort of working with truck drivers and um, doing a lot of admin work, a lot of inductions, a lot of mine site things, health and safety. Learned a lot, but again, it wasn't something that I was passionate about. So now you're at the station in Maroochydore exploring. Yeah, so we left the Gold Coast, moved back to the sunny coast, um, up to Montville. Awesome house there, it was 20 acres in the valley, fruit trees, six spot, big pool. Um, and was just working from home when COVID kind of kicked off, which is a whole topic on, on its own. But yeah, hidden out in the valley, doing all of that. And I remember one day, it went up to Mullaney, it was a Sunday, and saw this really cool old building for lease. I sort of thought, you know, sick, let's let's do it, let's rent this space. Anyway, I rang the lady and she said, well, what are you going to do with it? And we weren't really sure at the time, so I got the whiteboard out, brainstormed, and it was like, right, let's do an indoor plant shop. And so, so we did. It took us 28 days to open or go from idea lease to actually opening the doors which is really cool about five weeks after that we started to do some more coffee and so i don't drink coffee i still don't drink coffee never did so yes jumped on board with slide and and, and learned a lot about obviously retail and business and employing staff and all the rest of it did really well there was a massive plant craze during covid i think people were buying pets or plants and we were sort of making all this money going like this retail game's easy What's the go? Let's do another one. And so did. Saw, obviously, the old Ocean Attics building on Aerodrome Road for lease. Thought, that's a pretty cool spot. Let's do it again. And so, yeah, set up the station. Obviously, being the old fire station, wanted to kind of honour that and create this collective space. Aloe Flora down one side, and then Sunday to the cafe at the front, and obviously the pottery studio um, down the back. And that's been open maybe eight or nine months now. You um, opened that pretty quick as well, didn't you? Yeah, look, I think I set the goal for like three weeks, but I think it worked out to be about eight, but... As you know, you got to put these ridiculous timelines in place, otherwise... Nothing happens. I would still be there painting walls. <laughs> so, yeah, that was obviously much bigger. And I think I think doing Aloe Flora Mullaney, which was, um, you know, much lesser rent and far less staff and far less commitment was, was sort of, I guess, like the confidence boost um, and understanding and growth I needed to just do the station. I wouldn't have probably ever done the station if it was straight up. So which I'm super is, grateful for that. Which is interesting in itself for where you are looking at heading with it all now. I was thinking, when you said the Mulaney one, I was thinking, well, it's interesting knowing where you're hoping to take the station now or what ideas you have. Because when you first looked at that lease and you didn't know what you were going to open. Yeah. Um, I think the station organically has grown into something of itself. You, know, you can kind of have these intentions or these ideas for these spaces, but they kind of take their own form and grow and adapt into whatever it is that they 
do in the community. I mean, it, it has been that throughout COVID. Obviously, it's something that hasn't um, been a part of my reality and I haven't participated in any of it. And it's very much been a safe space for a lot of people in terms of not being asked to check in and not being harassed about masks. And I am proud of that. That this has been a, a place where people can just come and be. But yes, this year, wanting to expand and, and change things up. See, I sort of said earlier that it is an older building and it's got its issues um, and it has been resumed by Sunshine Coast Council. For the light rail development that will go through there, realistically, I've probably only got 12 to 18 months. Don't know, but that's sort of what I feel. And and look, it's, it's just about diversifying. So for me, my passion has always been health and fitness. Nutrition is a big part of that. So this year, obviously, expanding aloe flora has become the aloe collection and the aloe flora component will very much remain plants and pots and we're starting to do uh, like aloe home and lifestyle, which is homewares and things like that. Aloe mini kids range. And the thing I'm most passionate about is aloe health, which will be a lot of your alternate kind of um, supplements. You know, a lot of mushroom-based things, a lot of nootropics, just alternate. Good water. Yeah, proper water. You know, we were serving tap water there for so long. I don't know why, because I refuse to drink it myself. So why would I serve it to other people? So do the Montville Mist thing. And, you know, just, again, still trying to support local as much as possible, but, but just diversify. And I think in this day and age, like, you kind of have to go with the flow. And obviously with all of what's been going on with COVID, um, people are more aware and more conscious. And, you know, we're seeing people do more breath work and meditation than ever before and ice baths and, you know, people do want to start using mushrooms and exploring. I guess they're inner worlds. Um, so, if we um, compare your, I mean, are you going to get back into the PT? You think, or yeah? So I never stopped fully. I've still always coached online, doing um, obviously training programs and nutrition. Did take a little break these last sort of four or five months because I just was putting energy elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I've always, always, always done that. And this year, I am pushing more and more of that, but with much more of a rounded that was my what i wanted to kind of touch on if you as you've um, grown spiritually and you know you're talking about drinking spring water is that something you're going to be recommending to your clients like um has your diet changed much since you know we're talking 10 years ago when you were training um that sort of thing yeah look i learn best by doing things um and i have done a lot of different everythings be it keto intermittent fasting and like high carb, low carb, carb cycling, calorie cycling, you name it, I've, I've kind of done it. I haven't done the vegan thing. I haven't done the vegetarian thing. My, I guess my, my I'm not even, I don't even want to say that you can't perform eating those foods, but for me, it was never optimal um, in terms of what I've wanted to achieve. So yeah, I've always encouraged intuitive eating. Um, and I did do uh, Stan Effording's vertical diet for a long time, which, which kind of opened my eyes to, well, you build a base of these nutrients and micronutrients that you require, and then you just up different foods. Obviously, you would up your meats and up your carbohydrate through rice and sweet potato and things like that if you have a bigger dietary requirement. But but the base food's always there. So that was kind of got me thinking more along the lines of, well, we're creating these plans that, are, um, that do cover off on, on everything the body requires and then build upon that. Whereas before, and this is where I think where people can get a bit lost, is there's so many different ways to do this. And if you know, if you just follow, if it fixes your macros, or you know, here's how many calories you want, and I want you to eat this much carbohydrate. People kind of miss the point as to what's making them feel good or not feel good. You know, a, a basic breakfast might be oats and bananas, but if you're eating bananas and they're giving you bloating, man, don't eat bananas. And so, working with these different people, I learned quite quickly that it very much nutrition is very, very personalized and. And even if you can't eat bananas now, it doesn't mean you can't eat bananas down the track. So it's this kind of evolving, moving space that I've always sort of fallen in love with. I love the idea of you can put your body on a piece of paper and as you adjust the piece of paper, your body will change if you're consistent and you stick with it. And, and people, you know, we, we just, people generally don't know what it feels like to feel good. You know, we, we consume so much through our phones. We consume so much food through things that we don't even know are good or bad you just you just kind of eating like this is unawareness i suppose around all these things we're consuming tap water you know cereal processed foods bread sugars like so many of us are so unaware and so lately you know just i've been doing a lot of that inner work and just naturally i've been eating less and i've been okay with that because i haven't been training as much but the foods that make me feel best are um so you know your quality quality meats organic and free range where possible and the fruits that are in season and and really just trying to eliminate processed anything and i I feel heaps better for it but yes interesting because i've also been following that diet and definitely agree with you Mm. um is interesting obviously i've done a lot of diets as well vegan for a year and whatever else but 
I mean, I think it also comes down to just being consistent. Like when I was plant-based, it's like if you're only eating kind of the things that don't make you feel shit, it's like you're fine. Um, <laughs> the moment you start, you know, it's your, it depends what you're eating on the diet. I think if it's no processed food, you know, no sugar, that sort of thing, it's you're just going to feel naturally better. Yeah, and my, my like I guess my approach is never been like, no, you can't have this. Mm. It's always been, man, you tell me what you want to eat and we'll map it out. And I like people to learn for themselves. So we'll sit down, we'll start a diet and we'll get them training and we'll get them moving better and all the rest of it. And it's not long before they start to go, you know what, man, I actually don't want to eat this anymore. Can we swap this out? Yep, sweet. We'll swap it out for something better. And people will learn themselves because when they're consistent and they're motivated and they can see changes happening, it kind of becomes addictive and they want more and more and more. And so I've never been one to tell people what to do. Like I'll give them the structure and the why, but then it's up to them to follow it. And then I like them to give me feedback. And that's very much how I like to coach is we look at all aspects. We look at your mood. We look at your libido. We look at your digestion. We look at your energy during training, your energy during the day, how you're sleeping. Because it's not two-dimensional. To be better, it's so 3, 4D. And, and this is kind of what I'm starting to touch on now is that you can, be, you can be training really well and you can have a great diet. But if you're consuming Instagram and just shit on your phone all day, you're still going to feel shit. There's so much more to it than just the food and, and just the training. Like, And this is kind of what I'm wanting to branch more into is, is, yes, there's the body, which is the physical, which is the training and the nutrition. But then there's the mind and then there's the spiritual. And there's a, I have like this massive calling and I genuinely believe that our job here on this planet is to heal ourselves so that we can heal others we got to stop looking outside of ourselves for these things. And, you know, if you're someone that's sort of sitting around going, okay, well, I'm this and I'm that because of this and because of that, you missed the point. Victim mindset. 100%. So what practices do you have that someone listening could embody? Like what are you, what are your meditation, what are your breath work, what's your morning routine? It's always been changing and has changed a lot. And I kind of, I, 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 I've always lived a very structured lifestyle and I'm trying not to be so structured and hard on myself because that essentially holds me back and it has become a negative for me because I'm so structured. So I'm, I'm trying to listen more and I will look at activities and I will say, well, is this, is this a high vibe activity or is it not? If it's not, well, I'm not going to participate in it. And so it's, it's a mixture of, it might be, um, it might be reading, it might be journaling, it might be some breath work, it might be meditation. I mean, dude, there's been so many times lately where I've sat down to meditate and I cannot clear my mind. So I'll start breath work and breath work still won't get me there. Okay, fuck, I'll do a journal and I'll just sit and write. And that's what I needed to do on that day. And then another day I'll sit down to meditate. Perfect. I can get there straight away. All these things come up. I just know naturally that that's what I was supposed to do. But I, I encourage anyone to, to find what it is that helps them find their calm. And then and then just be have some sort of structure. Like I, I won't use my phone now for the first hour or two in the mornings. I try not to use it before I go to bed. I think the one thing that has really brought a lot up was just spending time in silence and on my own and, as you know, stillness. I've just read a really cool book by Ryan Holiday, The Keys. Um, stillness is the key, and that touches on, like, the mind, the body, and the spirit, and there's different stories, simple, easy-to-read stories about things you can relate to in your life, but just the ability to cultivate silence and, you know, jump in your car and turn the radio off or go for a walk without your earphones. You know, go and train in the gym without your earphones. You know, when you go to pick it up to connect with someone, don't. And talk to yourself. Listen to a really cool podcast about happiness. I can't remember what it's called. But, you know, you've got to understand that your brain is doing a job and, you, and the job is to create thoughts. And these thoughts create chemicals in the body and the body becomes addicted to these different chemicals. And so the body doesn't know the difference and, and it, it craves these different things. And so if you're always thinking negative thoughts, well, your body's getting these negative chemicals and that's what it's addicted to. It doesn't know any difference. So you've got to really rewire the way you think and the way you think about yourself. And you've got to understand that when these thoughts pop up, that they're not even you. You, you tell your brain, hey, man, no, nah, not today. How about you go and find me five things I'm grateful for? And then how about you be a little bit creative? Let's come up with a new business idea. And your brain will start to do what you tell it to do. But the second you start to think you are your brain or you are your emotions, it's game over. It's game over because we're so programmed by society. Or, you know, it's, we refer to it as the matrix or the system or whatever. It's a bit of it's a waterfall effect as well because if you start thinking negative emotions or you start looking, you know, playing the blame game, victim, everything's kind of someone else's fault. It's external to you. You, um, you start attracting all of that. And then it's then when you attract it, you become more upset about it and you attract it again. And you just keep attracting it until you deal with it. Yeah. There's always that quote. It's like something won't leave your life until it's taught you the lesson that you had to learn. Yeah. I remember I, remember I had this one client that just wouldn't adhere to anything. And I remember going and seeing um, seeing someone do a lot of acupressure with and 
breath work and that is helping me work through some things. And I sort of tell them about this client, you know, I'm sick of this, this person and they're paying me and they're not doing anything and they're complaining they're not getting results and so they're not doing the work. And he sort of said to me, okay, man, you can fire her, like you can fire this person and, and say you're not going to work with them. But there's a lesson in this you need to learn. And just because this person is triggering, da 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 whatever, you're blaming them, reflect on that and approach it differently. Because if you don't, you just sack this person you're going to get these same lessons from somewhere else, someone else. It might not be a client, but it might be a friend or a, a family member or something. Um, 100%. And so I had this kind of profound realization that, well, yeah, fuck, I need to address this differently. And you know what? The second I did, she canceled. She, she, she pulled out. She disappeared. And it was this really kind of profound like, wow, okay. Because I didn't, I, I'd accepted whatever it was I needed to accept in that moment. And yeah, I've, I've learned a lot these last um, six months about a lot of different things and a lot of the blame game. And um, just had this real hunger to get to know me. And uh, what are some things that kind of um, obviously something sparked it? So uh, we moved from Montfield down to Warana and um, I was sitting on the beach every morning literally living on the beach sick and watching the sun come up every day and just meditating and, and getting grounded and starting to journal and just um just yeah just heaps and heaps and heaps kept coming up and just wanting to address it all and to deal with it and to uncover it and to get to the bottom of who i am and these different cycles that we have and these loops we get ourselves stuck in and these limiting beliefs and, and these limitations we put on ourselves for no reason and and childhood things and and yeah just wanting to become more and more aware like I said before I guess just to heal so that I've done my work and I can help others with theirs and that's sort of what I feel super passionate about because I, I meet these people and they're so many of us are lost and we're unsure and we're we don't back ourselves and we don't know what we're here for I think that's kind of what I really noticed this last few months as well is no one actually knows what we're doing <laughs> no everyone's lost and people get kind of um, almost caught up with you know what the other person might think or whatever but really like everyone's lost and if you speak your mind you'll find someone else's kind of a similar i don't know issue that they want to tackle i think we're lost because we're so distracted yeah well, that, so that's distracted. also i was going to say it's interesting like, that the moment you silenced your mind on the beach everything started coming up you yeah found time to just sit there because when you roll over in the morning and you grab your phone and you scroll for a bit and you go fuck yeah. it's seven o'clock i've got to have a shower and da-da-da. you're in the rat race you're you, you're doing it like you you're just one foot in front of the other. You've, you're just doing the same thing every day. And so when you change that, mm. stuff just starts to change. And that's what they say. Like you change your inner world, you change your outer world. But you can't change your outer world without changing your inner world. And you have to like, make, make conscious effort to, to do that. It is interesting when you, um, when you wake up and you, you go to grab your phone, even to just check the time, and then you stop and you feel what is actually happening. Like there's a sensation on your body somewhere that's kind of, that is craving to yep. feel that kind of... 100%. Routine that you've that habit you've built, which is oh, time to wake up. I'll check the time. Yeah, check if there's any messages. Check if there's any comments. Um, message on Instagram. Yeah, one of the one of the um, yes, like little things I picked up from looking at a lot of Joe Dispenza's work was was this journaling and understanding that our brains go through different brainwave patterns and, and tapping into that subconscious mind. So when you first wake up, like you kind of know you're awake, but you haven't opened your eyes yet that's where a lot of these things come up and one of his exercises is well that's where you sit with yourself and you grab your journal and you sit up and you keep your eyes closed and you write down what comes up i'm too tired i'm too lazy i can't be bothered today i'm i'm this i'm that i whatever it is all these negative 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 thoughts that we all have i can't do that i can't do this and you just write them down you're not even aware of them but you write them down and then you can kind of see okay well what negative behavior is coming from this right so you get up and you go fuck i'm too tired and then so so that then the behavior is like you're procrastinating and then that behavior leads to an emotion. Well, what's the emotion? Okay, I'm angry at myself. I'm frustrated now because I didn't do what I needed to do because I told myself I'm too tired because I didn't go to bed on time because I sat up and played on Instagram till 11 o'clock, whatever. And then you go, okay, right. These are the five negative thoughts I've had. These are the, the actions that they've caused me to take. And now these are the emotions I'm sitting with. You're no way. I'm not, I don't want to be this person anymore. Okay, so let's write down five thoughts I want to have and, and five thoughts that I want to, that are going to serve me. And then you write down the actions that they're going to lead to and then you write down the emotions you want to feel that day. I want to be happy. I want to be loved. I want to be abundant. I want to use my time well. And it takes 10 minutes and you're done. And you know what? As you go through your day, because you've created this little awareness around this subconscious kind of thinking, you hear these thoughts. Something will come up. You'll be in the gym and you'll be doing squats or whatever and it'll start to get hard and you go, I'm done. You hear it and you go, hey, there you are. Ah, fuck you. We're not done. 
we're going to do four more. And you start to turn it off. And this is this is why I suppose like Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about it being rewired. And Goggins talks about it too. Yeah, because you, you, otherwise you just like, your brain just treats you like a little, like a, like a little bitch. <laughs> well, I was going to say this, I had this ring for like a month now, the aura ring. You wake up and you, you know, check your sleep score. But what you find is if you've had a shit sleep score and it's telling you you had a shit sleep, you go, fuck, I had shit sleep. So then you go into the day with, I've had a yeah. shit sleep. Whereas if you, yeah. Tim, my mate, I caught up with him coffee the other day. He's like, if you, I find that if you don't look at what your sleep was, Till about 12 o'clock you have a better day because if you had a shit sleep you just kind of know about it you yeah. need to be told about it and then remind yourself constantly 100%. Oh, I'm going to have a shit day because I had a shit sleep 100% there's heaps of little things like cold showers and, and just just basic awareness like just talking to yourself and set some affirmations you know what is it that um, what is it that I actually want to achieve and this is the thing like we actually don't we, we're all lost because we're all distracted mm. we don't sit with ourselves for long enough to go hey you know what like who do I want to be and what do I what do I want to achieve mm. And then the trick to anything is actually just being the person you want to be. And that sounds so simple, and it is, but it isn't. And this is this is where we get caught up. Because if you just actually were that, mm. bro, it all comes. It all comes so fast. The yeah. second you choose to stop being, the second you choose to be true to yourself and you stop doing things because of what other people think or how's my action going to make this person feel. And I'm not saying like go out there and be a savage, but what I'm saying is be aware of who you are and tap into that and then make decisions based on well, not even decisions. Like last week when I did quantum energy healing with John, who you've also met with, but he was saying, you know, decisions and choices are different. You don't want to make decisions. When you make a decision, it's set in stone. You've created a loop. The quantum field can do nothing with it but create one outcome because you've made a decision. If you make a choice, a choice is free-flowing. It's in the moment. You choose based on how you're feeling. And so if you're making choices based on what feels right and light and positive and good and, and from a place of love, bro, you're going to realign very quickly with your true path. But when you're making choices based on, no, I'm not going to do that because I might upset this person, mm. and you're living outside of yourself, you're going to be miserable. You have to be selfish for yourself in order to be selfless. 100%. We live in this kind of society and we've been told that selfish is the worst thing you can be. Oh, you're selfish. What do you mean? And I think I think selfish, I think it's so important, at least until you become self-aware, at least until you become... If you're living, if you're living selfless for someone else, doing exactly what they want, you're eventually going to get to a point where you realise you've just been doing everything for them, nothing for you, and you're just going to crumble. It's going to come all come tumbling down anyway. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not sustainable. No. I think I think it's I think it's I think it's like the balance of like being selfless and doing it from a place of love yeah. and awareness. Like yes, this might give this person a little bit of happiness right now, but it's going to compound and their their upset will be a hundred times worse if you right. don't address it right now. So you got to do things from a place of love, and you and you kind of need to be selfish because and this is like the other whole thing that I'm starting to explore is right. Like if I make decisions that are true to myself, I'm denying the people around me their true alignment. Hundred percent. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. fucking crazy, eh? <laughs> And so this is this is how this is how we change the world. And they'd, because they'd probably be hold, they'd be holding on to an idea of what you are when you're actually not that. So they would be living this kind of oh Henry's this my image of Henry is this, but really for you it's like this isn't me. I've got to get out. So the moment you crumble, they go whoa, my yeah. whole life's ruined. Yeah, and dude, like even just that whole like that concept in itself is who's, who is Henry? Well, Henry doesn't exist because your perception of Henry is yeah. different from Sophie's perception of Henry, who's different from. Benjamin's perception of Henry. I have my own perception of myself. And so I'm infinite, but I'm also nothing, right? Because I'm just... I'm a mirror for everyone else. <laughs> Literally. And you can kind of... I think it's one of the most important things that I've, that I've learned recently is if you approach everyone in every situation as they are just a reflection of you at your current state, you'll, you won't get angry at them. You won't get disappointed in what they're doing. You won't be upset. You'll approach it with love and appreciation on what, they, what you're going to learn in this situation as well. Yeah, um, and gra- grateful for you know that encounter because everyone does teach you something if you're open to it. If you're open to it, yeah. If you're open to it, yeah. It's it's easy. It's easier to go screw you. Hmm. You've upset me. But you got to go. Why? Why have you upset me? But it's also it also is easier to hang around with the people that don't upset you. The comfortable, the familiar, for sure. And I, I think, um, I mean, naturally, we, we, we are drawn to people that make us feel good about ourselves. Or another way of thinking about it is we are drawn to people that confirm the perception of ourselves that we have. And the people we dislike challenge that belief. You know, I'm really good at my job. And you've got a co-worker that always challenges you. Have you done this? Have you done that? And you don't like them because they're challenging your belief that you're a really good worker. But yeah, I think once you become aware of how other people come into your life and, and um, what that purpose is, and that really... 
you know, there's a little video I saw the other day about um, we go dating and relationships looking for love. Mm. You never find it because you have to be it. And so if you start to love yourself and then start to radio that out, it's it's game over. You're unstoppable. You're unstoppable because you're always living in this state of bliss. Mm. And I mean, it's not, I don't think it's, I mean, I know it's it's doable, but you, like at this level, I know I can't live there always, mm. and that's the goal. The goal is, I guess, to always. It is good though on that, like what you said about if you you go out looking for a relationship, or you know, even in a friendship, but a relationship, and you approach it with being love, and you're not looking for something to make you whole, then you will just find someone equal that's kind of matching the frequency you're on. Yeah, at that moment. Um, yeah. But if you go looking for. Oh, you know, lack, I need this and I need that, then you'll just find someone who's going to trigger all of that stuff and then start teaching you. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting space to explore. Mm. Um, and people just, it's very strange. Like, the it's very strange people that appear in your life. And, like, just if you think about, if you're in this state, it's hard to explain if you're not kind of in there, but you just start meeting and meeting and meeting so many new people and you, like, didn't really, I don't know. It's like... Where were you beforehand sort of thing, but then you feel like you've known them so much? It's as you said, though, it's, it's a frequency thing. Yeah. And so as um, as you raise your frequency or lower it, you start to attract people from the same kind of frequencies. Yeah. And, and this is uh, where change can be a good thing and a bad thing, depending on what you're doing activity-wise in terms of are these things constructive and positive for your life or are they not? This was something the other night we spoke about, the fact that you can decide at any moment like to live a different reality by just choosing to go live that reality. So, like, I could decide I wanted to, um, you know, live the bodybuilding life and I'd just come hang out with you, spend time with you, and all of a sudden I'll start meeting more people like you. Or I'd be around the gym or just I wanted to start skating and go to skate park and then you start meeting skaters. So, it's like you can decide your reality whenever you want and there's a reality like that out there. So, you can just go match it and be with that. Yeah. So, if you're stuck in a rut, you can just get out of it. It's actually simple. It's just so hard to get out of it at that time. But if you know, if you learn that your power, you can literally just get out of that and go find the people that you want to be around and be that person. Yeah. You can. A little interesting one is ask, you know, ask out loud all the time what else is possible. Okay, that's cool. But what else is possible? Okay, that's cool. What else is possible? That's really cool. What else is possible? I haven't even imagined yet. And sit with it and see what comes up. Because when you're making choices, you're tapping into this infinite possibility. If you, if you think of the present moment, there's infinite possibilities. Always. And so instead of making decisions which close them off to one outcome, you make choices based on, well, okay, what else is possible? What else is possible? And man, stuff just starts up to appear. And you, you, you know, you, you have these ideas and then you act on them. And then it starts, to, as you said, waterfall because you're taking action that's in alignment with a true choice rather than, here's my decision. This is what we're doing. And if you start doing, if you do the same, like it's interesting, if you're someone who works the kind of, you know, nine to five job and you go to gym every Tuesday, Thursday, and then you eat dinner at your parents on Wednesday and you go out to dinner Friday with your friends, if you do that every single week, you'll find that your life never changes ever. Like you might slightly change, you might bump into someone, but until you just decide to do something completely out of the norm, even drive the wrong way to work tomorrow, yes. or just like just do something different, and then you hold, then you, it's something else, something pops up, and you're like, oh, cool, and then you follow that one, and you just like be like water. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, you change your environment, and you start to change other things, because you start to notice things you didn't notice before. If you do the same thing every morning, your alarm goes off at six, you roll over, check your phone, you get the toilet, have a shower, you go to work, listen to the radio in the car, get to work, have a mid-morning coffee, listen to some more radio, mm-hmm. cruise home, listen to the radio, watch TV, go to sleep, have a few beers. Like It is fun breaking habits, like finding them, you know, I'm, on, I'm having just 10 days off coffee just to break that, and instead I'm replacing it with um, circular breathing in the morning, and it's like just picking, pick some habit you always do and just change it, yeah. even if it's just for a week. It's just interesting to notice and you notice your cravings and you start to notice, you know, oh, well, I'm normally at the coffee shop now, but now I'm laying on the beach doing breath work. Well, this is where you start to confuse the body because the body knows it likes its routine and it likes these same chemical releases all the time. And so it starts to crave them. And you stop giving them what it craves and you start giving it other things. Well, it's kind of like, well, okay, we're doing something new here. I better learn. You start becoming control of your life and you can tell it exactly if you want to sit down and meditate. Well, no, I'm in control now. Yeah. The other thing you've got to understand is, and this is like a kind of crazy concept, but we have a brain, right, that is just processing information. Everything you can see is a reflection of the light. So your brain is turning the light into information. The same way that your phone is tapped into the internet, right? It's just drawing information, putting it onto a screen. 
That's what your brain is doing. Everything you can feel is a vibration. Everything you can hear is a sound wave. And so really, if you can imagine yourself with no body, just a consciousness or just a spirit or just a a blob or however you need to picture it, all your brain is doing is turning in the stuff around you into something that you perceive it to be, right? So when you close your eyes, everything disappears. I mean, you still know it's there, but is it? You don't know because you've, you've stopped taking that information in through the eyes. And then so, yes, you can create. You can create whatever you want. You put it out there into the quantum field. And an idea, the body knows no different between an idea or a thought and a real life experience. That makes sense. And so when, um, when you start to understand that you can control your thoughts, which then control behaviors, and every time there's a behavior or an event, there's an emotion attached to that event, everything changes. Everything. It all starts with your thoughts because then your thoughts create your reality and it's that simple. And it's taken me 28 years to figure that out. But I'm starting to. Still young. I'm starting to. And um, it's fun. It's fun when you start to do things and start to attract and start to challenge what you thought was possible or not possible. I can't do that. Why not? Okay, I don't know. Mum said I couldn't. What do you mean? You can't wear your mask. You've got to wear your mask. Right? <laughs> yes. Like I think, what was I doing? I had to. I was in Gympie with Dad yesterday the other day, and I had to get to the car park there. And it was like just the road was confusing. I was just like, okay, well, I got to get to the car park. I'm just going to the car park. And Dad's like, you get a ticket. I'm like, no, I won't. He's like, you will. You just did a legal turn. I'm like, no, I won't. It doesn't exist in my world. <laughs> I'm not attracting that. <laughs> yes. It's like if you attract fear, if you use fear, and you, I mean, um, was. Um, Ryan was posted, I forget his last name, but I'm cool to be conscious. And he posted something controversial about not wearing his seatbelt because he's, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I'm not like, I wouldn't go as extreme, but like, if you don't put the fear out there, it's not coming back. If you don't bring that negative thought into your life, it's, I don't think you'll attract it back. Yeah. It's I hard, don't know. hard to say that for some reason, because like, then you could go to, you know, where we spoke about earlier in the Middle East and go to war zone and say, well, why aren't they just thinking their way out of here? Mm. But I also I also believe that we, we come here for certain lessons. The same way we, en- we enroll in a uni course to learn how yeah. to become a doctor or this or that, we choose to come to Earth to learn what it is we need to learn to progress. This is all part of the journey. It's, it's that interesting, it's that balance between what will be, will be, and mm. then, well, whatever I manifest and take action on is going to be. Isn't it? mm. It's that kind of, you're in control, but you're also not in control. I guess that's what the state of flow is, hmm. just making choices and navigating the best you can and dealing with whatever comes up because it won't always be good. You could be, and you could meditate all day every day and do all the breath work in the world and journal to your heart's content and shit's still going to happen. Hmm. Of course, everything will still happen. It's more how you approach it. Like Shit happens all the time. My day is just full of shit, but it's not shit anymore. It's just another step, to her, another hurdle. And it's like if you, because I think a lot of people, they see, they get, they hit the challenge. They get scared of challenges for starters, but they hit the challenge and that's it. That's the wall. Fuck, this is hard. I don't want to get over this. But you realize you just, you know, all right, how am I going to tackle this? Bit of creative creativity comes in, Mm. deal with that one. Off you go again. Another problem. And they just become, Mm. they're not really problems anymore. They're just kind of day it's like part of the day <laughs> yeah well i think on the subconscious level or on like a higher self level you've already chosen it it's like we're just playing a video game there's there's me sitting way up there that's, that's just like hey let's do this and see how he deals with it <laughs> nothing no different to grand theft auto <laughs> all right well good chatting yeah i feel like there's probably 15 topics we could go into way deeper <laughs> there's a few we didn't actually touch on so we'll have to do another one cool all right thank you thank you See you at home. <laughs>